Amen. Amen. You're starting to feel encouraged again? I hope so. We're filled with some, some hope because uh, we're going to start a new sermon series today on hope. On hope. And so where would you go in the Bible when you're thinking about hope? You would go, I would think, to First and Second Thessalonians in particular. Um, so we're going to look together at uh, the beginning, First Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 1. Uh, but what we see there in the city of Thessalonica, that's the, so if you're a Thessalonian, you're from Thessalonica, is a church that was planted in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship. You know, I was thinking about what, what it would be like to, for those folks who are starting new churches now, right in, the, right in the midst of a pandemic, right in the midst of a very controversial election year and all of the social unrest. They, they would, in some ways, be shaped by a, a sense of of suffering and hardship right from the start. And actually, that could be a very healthy thing. And what we see here in, is this church in Thessalonica ends up being an example to others. Um, that it, their, The message of what's going on there in the city of Thessalonica um, uh, spreads far and wide. It actually influences churches that are miles and miles away. Christians who are trying to be faithful walking with the Lord. People are hearing about what's happening there in Thessalonica. And it ends up being an exemplary church. An exemplary church. And I think, friends, that, that some churches are like that today. And, and I don't mean necessarily the ones that make the big news and have the tens of thousands of people. Uh, but, but those churches that have a powerful influence, even if it's quiet, a powerful influence uh, around the world. Actually, interestingly enough, our church, First Baptist Haverhill, has been that type of church. Uh, in its earliest days, it was started by Hezekiah Smith, a, a Baptist, uh, an early, early American Baptist. Um, and as according to one historian, A.H. Newman, he said that Hezekiah, the founding pastor, was the foremost Baptist pastor of the time and was instrumental in the conversion of thousands. Actually, I mentioned a little bit about the history of our church at a Gordon-Conwell class being taught in our facility and um, how our founding pastor planted a bunch of churches in the area and one guy said, the church I pastor was planted by Hezekiah Smith. So right there in that room was a guy who already saw that and throughout its history, uh, its support of missions in particular, Adoniram Judson in Burma, I think some of you guys have said this before, the, the very first single woman got, sent to the mission field um, in the modern missionary movement, was a member at First Baptist Church, Charlotte White, when, at a time in which they didn't do that. They didn't send single women to the mission field. She found a nice loophole. She went as a, an assistant to a married couple, uh, but nevertheless, she was still the first single woman uh, sent to the, the mission field. And I think in some ways, in many ways, that's what I hope our church is today. Uh, that we're, we're, we're part of a, uh, we we'd certainly, we want to be a healthy church ourselves, but we want to also have an influence far and wide for the kingdom. We want to look at this church here in Thessalonica and say, how do we become, how do we act as an exemplary church? Look with me at First Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll do the whole of the first chapter, which isn't so long. And again, understanding that the overall theme of these books is hope of these letters. We read this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. What does it mean? Why, why did this church that we'll be looking at in the upcoming weeks, we'll probably take a break for Christmas and look at the birth of Jesus, of course, specifically, uh, but why were they exemplary? And what can we learn from them in that? Uh, three points. First, one to three. An exemplary church has faith, love, and hope. And then second, four to seven, an exemplary church perseveres through trials. And third, uh, an exemplary church influences the world, influences the world. So first, they have faith, love, and hope. Paul opens the letter. Paul is an apostle. He's the one who wrote. These are actual, real-life letters written to the church. They were received. They were kept. They were passed along from church to church. And here we are 2,000 years later and still studying and reading the same things that were written to a church back then. And the way you typically open a letter is by identifying yourself. We tend to do that at the end, right? At the, you know, we put our name sincerely, Rick Harrington, or whatever it may be. Um, here, you, in, in, ancient, in the ancient world, you started with it. Who's writing this? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the very missionaries who went to Thessalonica and shared the gospel to them with them. So he's checking in with a church that he has a relationship with and has ministered to. And then he identifies the recipient. He's writing to the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. And then he takes his tip, a typical greeting. This is Paul's typical greeting, but let's not miss it. The common Greek greeting uh, was kairain, which basically meant greetings, which sounds a lot like charis, which means grace. And the typical Jewish greeting was shalom, which means peace. And so what does he do? In most of his letters, he takes those two things and he puts them together and says, grace and peace to you. And for us Christians, those have added meaning, don't they? Grace, the, the undeserved favor of God. Peace, we have a reconciliation with God. And then he gives a, a thanksgiving, which he typically does in his letters. Uh, there's only one letter from Paul that he doesn't give a thanksgiving, and that's to the Galatians because he's mad at them. All right? He wants to jump right in. He doesn't give it. But here, he does give us a thanksgiving, and he says, I always thank God for you. Church in Thessalonica. I regularly mention you in my prayers. I remember you before the Lord often. And then he commends them uh, with uh, a common 
triad. He commends them for their faith, love, and hope. He says, I commend you for your your work of faith. Uh, I commend you for your labor of love. And I commend you for your perseverance, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. They're, you know, however length of time has passed since the church has started, they're, they're living it out. They're continuing on in the faith. They're persevering in faith, love, and hope. This, uh, this triad we find in Scripture is in different places. Normally the order is faith, hope, and love, right? Faith, hope, and love. And the emphasis usually goes to the last part. So oftentimes when it's quoted, the emphasis is that love is the highest and most important thing that he wants to remind the church. Um, I like what uh, Spurgeon said. He calls them the three divine sisters. Uh, Faith, hope, and love. Linked hands um, together. These were with them in their best condition. Faith working, love laboring, hope enduring. But in this case, of course, he puts hope at the end. Why do that? Because that's going to be the emphasis of this letter. Uh, He describes the Christian life. Faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, love for one another and hope in eternity. Friends, why, uh, why emphasize hope above all else here for this church? We'll see it in the next section a bit, but when a church goes through suffering and hardship, when it goes through trials, the emphasis needs to be on hope. That where our hope is not in this world alone, It's not in health and wealth and prosperity. Our hope is in heaven. It's in eternity. And so Paul models it for them by emphasizing the call to steadfastness of hope. Before we get to that next section, though, uh, just a powerful uh, example of true Christian character. That's why they were an exemplary church. Because they were actually living it out. They were living out the Christian faith truly, genuinely, sincerely. Uh, These were not hypocrites. These were not people who just made a a quick little profession of faith and just lived like the world every single day. No, they actually actually took this to heart and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit began in them. They're they're real Christians, as we would say, maybe. Uh, They they really believe this stuff about God. They really seek to to know the Lord. Uh, A a church that, that lacks these things, faith, hope, and love. Is a church that what? Just goes through the motions. Lacks true care for others. A church that looks just like the world. And he's saying, no, this is a church that, that absolutely um, demonstrates the true Christian life. And I think, friends, how important it is for us as a church to do the same today. Uh, think about it. So again, with the election. Uh, uh, that just happened and the chaos that is now going on and we'll find out where this whole thing ends at some point in time. But what stands out about your character to your friends and family and neighbors? Is it that your candidate won or lost or is going to win, is going to lose or is it the fact that you trust in King Jesus above everything else? That your faith is in eternity it's in something you're uh, an eternal god who is ultimately in control who raises up kings and lowers them who causes wars to cease and that we're called to be still and know that he is god is your faith what stands out the most during this time your trust is in christ as savior and his lord and that's what matters most 
during this whole COVID-19 pandemic, is your love what stands out? Is it that you are constantly talking about some big hoax or some whatever? Or is it that, no, this is an opportunity for us to love our neighbors, those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are scared, those who are anxious during this time? You know, I, I, I hope that we have a good witness in a lot of the hospitals around here. Um, you know, I, I was part of a church one time in Chicago where uh, everybody knew the church in all of the hospitals in the area because the folks, the members of that church spent so much time in the waiting rooms with people in the ER or in different places uh, that all the nurses knew who they were <laughs> because they were so regularly interested in caring for those who are in need. And friends, I hope that's true of us in the midst of this pandemic. We're addressing the, the needs, the physical needs, whether that's for food um, or financial support. We're addressing the, the spiritual needs of those around us. We're demonstrating love. That's our calling. That's our banner. Uh, are we raising up love? And certainly, friends, are we demonstrating a genuine hope? Every funeral that we remember and celebrate a life of someone who was a believer is an opportunity for us to raise up hope. That death is not the end. That eternal life is to come. And that faith in Jesus Jesus matters right to the end. That we are steadfast, that we persevere in hope. An exemplary church has faith, love, and hope. But not only that, as we see in 4-7, to seven, exemplary church perseveres through trials. Perseveres through trials. And Paul here encourages them as a church. He doesn't have a lot of negative things to say about them. Not yet. He has a few things a little later on in the letters. But he says here, first of all, that you are you're loved by God. So remember that when you go through trials and suffering and hardship, you're loved by God. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. You are loved by God. More than that, you're chosen by God. I mean, that's the election that matters most, right? God has chosen you to be his own. And whatever suffering and trials you face in this world, don't ultimately take away his, chose, his uh, choosing. God is uh, uh, looking at an eternal perspective and you are his forever. And also that the Holy Spirit is present and at work and is convicting. Paul says how basically they came as missionaries to Thessalonica um, and you received us. You welcomed us, you Christians in Thessalonica, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And that may kind of, I don't know if that hits you a little bit weird. Paul often says that, but he also says, uh, follow my example as I follow Christ. So he's not saying you followed because you came little Paul people, but that as I'm following Christ, you look to my example and you began to follow the Lord's example, meaning the Lord Jesus. Uh, You receive the word in in much affliction, he says, persecution, and yet filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's a paradox, isn't it? You are suffering greatly and filled with joy. (laughs) Those two things don't usually go together. If I'm suffering, I'm not happy. If I'm happy, I'm not suffering. But in the Christian life, there is a beautiful paradox in that in the midst of the greatest trials that we face and hardships that we endure, there is joy 
And sometimes, friends, there's an even greater joy in those moments than any other time. And he says, because of that, you set an example for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's the area around where Thessalonica is. You stood out to others. And what did they actually go through? What was the issues that the Christians there in Thessalonica were dealing with? Uh, They went through a number of different things. I'm going to read to you this section in Acts. It's a little lengthy, but just try to follow me. Uh, this is the, so Acts kind of records uh, the narrative of how the missionaries went out and how they began to reach people in the Roman Empire. And this is what we read. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. This is the Paul, Sil- Silvanus, and Timothy, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and providing that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Silas is another name for Silvanus. As did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, the non-believing Jews. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security for Jason and the rest, they let them go. Actually, what eventually happens is they have to send the missionaries away because of the danger, and some of the Thessalonian non-Christians chase them to the next town and actually chase them out of the next town. So what's going on? First of all, they're being persecuted by the non-believing Jews in Thessalonica. They oppose Paul, they don't like these new converts, and they are trying to get rid of it. They are also persecuted by the wicked, as he calls them here, the the mob. They take Jason and they drag him from his house. He's physically attacked. They're being maligned. They're being falsely accused. They're being accused of treason, worshiping someone above Caesar. Remember, Caesar was seen as a divine god and was to be worshipped. And to say that your allegiance is to someone greater than to Caesar is treason. And as I mentioned, Paul and Silas have to leave. And what happens? They send people to chase them out of the next town of Berea. And in that context, the gospel thrives. And is an example that goes forward to the surrounding region. And as he eventually will say, to everywhere all over the Roman Empire. Why? Well, what lesson can we learn here? First of all, that it's worth it. It's worth following Jesus. It's worth suffering for Jesus. It's worth it. You're you're loved by God. (laughs) You're chosen by God. Any of the suffering, the difficulty, the trials we face in this world, they are momentary. Temporary. They come and go. But the blessings of the gospel are eternal. They last forever. 
Second thing we should be sort of example we learn here is what he tells them, that the Holy Spirit is with us. God's very presence is with us. Two things he mentions here, that the power of the Holy Spirit was at work. So lives were truly being converted. People were truly being transformed. Miracles were happening. The power of the Holy Spirit was at work. And as he says, the joy of the Holy Spirit was present. This was not a begrudging, unhappy trial. (laughs) This was a joy in the midst of hardship and suffering. And friends, if you listen to Christians who are in places where the gospel is not well accepted, like as we mentioned earlier in prayer, uh, we see that joy. I know I saw that certainly in China and in Nepal. In the midst of opposition, the Christians there were so happy (laughs) just happy and you just couldn't take away their happiness no matter what we say well how could you be so happy without all the cars and fancy houses and expensive clothes and all the stuff we get to enjoy (laughs) they're just happy and you can't take it away from them the joy of the spirit of god i think too we learn from this friends that their example shines all the brighter because their faith can withstand suffering. Today's Veterans Day. I want to thank our vets who have served our country. What is it about veterans in particular that stands out? Because they've been through trial. They've been through hardship. They've faced difficulty. Many of them have faced war. And yet, in the midst of it, virtue arises. Courage and valor arises in the midst of it. It's one thing to say, I follow Jesus on a bright, sunny day when everything is going well. (laughs) It's quite another thing when the world seems to be falling apart, your health is in jeopardy, people are afraid, and you say, Jesus is enough. I love what it says in 1 Peter. uh, Be always ready to give an answer for the hope, the hope that lies within. Uh, If you're wondering... Why is it no one ever asks me about the hope that lies within? It could be because you're not hoping in the right things, right? If you're hoping in the same thing everyone else is hoping in, then no one's going to ask any questions. But if your hope is different, it's in something eternal, that's something that can't be taken away by an election or by a pandemic or anything else, people say, where did that hope come from? Give me some answers. I want to know what that's all about. We trust God with an unwavering faith right to the end. No matter what trials we face, we die well in Christ. It's the calling of the Christian life. Yes, there's joy. Yes, there's fullness. But there is never, not a single time in Scripture in which we are promised exemption from a world of suffering. We're part of a fallen world. We live in this fallen world, and our example actually speaks all the louder when we face suffering, like our next-door neighbors. And lastly here, friends, it says an exemplary church influences the world. Uh, Paul, without exaggeration, the known world, says your your example, Thessalonians, you're the small church, I don't know how many people, how many members it was, um, has their their example spread everywhere. (laughs) Everybody's hearing about you. He says here, he explains how far their reach really was. He says, I love what he says, that the word of the Lord. Note, it's not about the Thessalonians in specific. specific. We never even hear a single name um, of one of them in this section. Uh, But he's saying that the word of the Lord is what sounded forth from 
all the way into Macedonia and Achaia. But more than that, he says, it's gone everywhere, everywhere, way beyond the region that it's in. He says, we don't even need to say anything. People come up to us and say, hey, I heard about what happened in Thessalonica. I heard about how they received the word of the Lord and welcomed you as missionaries before Paul and his friends can even open their mouths. The message has already reached there. And I love, what's the report? Um, First of all, that the missionaries were accepted, but it's that they had turned to God, the living God, from idols. And now, instead of putting their hope in these stone, wood, metal idols, their hope is in waiting for his son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, and he delivers us from the coming wrath. How does a church extend its influence? Uh, When I think about our own church, I mean, we want to to be a faithful church that is exemplary. Um, First of all, it's never been easier than right now, I don't think, to share the gospel with the world. (laughs) It's never been easier. First of all, of course, you can travel like never before. Well, not right now with COVID, but in the, you know, as in the last 10 years, let's say, but also our, the online influence is unparalleled. I mean, you can, we, on our regular prayer meetings, we have people from other countries who regularly join in uh, and and will will pray with us from the other side of the world. For them, it's the middle of the night. For us, it's at, at noontime. Uh, people are being reached for the gospel. But of course, our, our members, we want to see them actively involved in the community around us. Whether that's your job, you're being faithful in your job and being a good witness by doing what you do, or volunteering, getting involved in community events and situations, ministries like Open Hearts and others that are involved in serving the community. One of the ways which church extends its influence, of course, is that its members and sometimes its pastors move around from place to place. <laughs> you know, you don't stay at one place. It's far more transient than we were in the past. I've talked to members. Uh, we have members, of course, who are in Chicago and Wisconsin and, you know, North Carolina, just thinking off the top of my head. And I remember one couple who said to, to me, we learned about grace at First Baptist. What a powerful statement. And now they're faithfully serving the Lord in a different part of this country. And of course, one way our, our influence extends is by missionaries. Uh, we send out missionaries. We pray for our missionaries. We give to our missionaries. We welcome these missionaries when they come back. And our, our example ex- ex- extends far beyond this. But one thing I love about the influence here of the church in Thessalonica is that they're known for all the right reasons. They're known for all the right reasons. What do we, I mean, to be known, like the old saying, you know, any, what is it, bad, bad news is, what's, how does the saying go? You know what I'm talking about, where any, any type of news gets your, your name out there. It's not true of the church. We want to be known for all the right things. That'll hit me later on today, I'm sure. But uh, we don't want to be known for being an uppity church or an unwelcoming church or a stingy and greedy church or a judgy church or a politically focused church. We want to be known for the word of the Lord, the message of the Christian faith, the gospel. That's what matters. That's the message we want to see go forth. We want to be known for conversions, as the church in Thessalonica was. People who have turned to God from idols to serve the living God. And friends, every idol 
is not made out of metal and wood and stone. Anything you worship above the Lord, that which you put first and foremost in your life is your God. And we're going to be known as those who wait for his son from heaven who are filled with hope. Not depressed, not down, but filled with an eternal hope that permeates everything that we do. Let's be an exemplary church filled with hope. In my opinion, as we draw to an end here, the problem with the American church is not width, but depth. Let me explain what I mean. I would say virtually every American has heard the gospel or some version of it. So our our goal, our mission now, is not so much to make sure people hear the good news. Well, they do need to hear it again. (laughs) I think our witness now needs to show depth of serious, real Christian faith. That's what people are missing. That's what they're not seeing. Even those very terms of evangelical or Christian or even church, they've all become sort of watered-down terms. In fact, for some people, all of them leave a bad taste in your mouth. That's something, something, there's something negative attached with those terms. Has our salt and light become sourness and darkness? Friends, may we be the type of church that displays faith, love, and hope. May we be the type of church that is faithful in the midst of trials, whatever those trials may be. And may we be the type of church that God uses our witness for the word of the Lord far and wide. Let's pray. Well, gracious God, thank you so much for the Christian hope. It's, it's not just about our sins being wiped clean, although, praise God, they are. It's not just about a better life now, although, thank you, Lord, for the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's also always knowing that the best is yet to come, that we are chosen by God and loved by God, that we are your people who belong to you and you will never leave us nor forsake us and nothing can snatch us out of your hand. And Lord, help us then as we seek to live out as faithful servants of the Lord and ambassadors for Christ, live out our faith um, in you, trusting you, and that people might say, where does that hope come from? Tell me about it. And we'd be ready, always ready, to give an answer for the hope that lies within. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.